Thank you guys so much for being here, for braving that weather as well, too, because this is an important day. We're continuing on. If you were here last week, I got to share some of what this next year is going to be, what this next season of Acts Church is kind of all about. And what we're kind of talking about is as we look out into the future, um, you know, where we're supposed to go. We're a group of people who get together. And we pool our energy, our resources, we pool all of that faith together. And that's what makes the church. And we look forward as to what is God asking us as a church, a group of people, to be able to do. And one of the things that uh, years ago, when we were very first just planning this church, we really asked God about, about the kind of church that we were supposed to be as Acts Church. And God kind of marked out what our DNA was going to be with giving us some core values. He gave us 13 core values. And they're kind of the things that, that they mark us in regards to who we are. For you, everybody needs core values in your life because we try to evaluate our life, whether or not we're actually accomplishing what we think we want to, but you can't evaluate without values. You have to have the values originally so that you can see whether or not you're moving in the right direction, you're becoming the right person, you're being the person who you want to be. And that's why we have values as a church, because this is the DNA that we, we think God gave to us and said, this is the church that this area needs to reach the people who you are called to reach. So what I'm going to do is, um, it's not like for the next 13 weeks, but over the course of this next year, I want to share with you those 13 core values. I'm going to share, share them with you over the course of the next year. So on separate weeks, you're going to show up and there'll be one of these. And the idea is I want you to understand who we are as a church. And when I say that, really what I'm saying is, is if you call this your church, if you say, I'm part of X Church, I'm telling you this is our values. And if you say, well, I really, I really agree with that, or maybe even you never even thought about that, it's important you grasp it as well, too. As we move forward, our DNA is important. If we don't look forward and we know who we are, we will not go to where we're called to be. It's critical. Let me ask you a question. Are you, and you don't, don't raise your hands, this is just in your, in your head, A, below average, B, above average, C, average? <laughs> below average, Above average, definitely, possibly average, right? Here's the deal. We use that term. And, and that term average, really, it just means kind of the middle of the road. There's, there's people who are above average. There's people who are below average. When we use that term average, it kind of means the ordinary. It means the most, the most common in the middle. Now, I believe that, that each and every one of us probably have areas of our life that we are above average in. We probably have other areas in our life that we are below average. And let me give you an example. Me. I believe that I have an above average knowledge of cars and engines. I've worked on them my whole life. I was raised in a shop. So ever since I was a little kid, I was taking apart stuff and I've, I've disassembled and rebuilt, I don't know, hundreds of engines, maybe into the thousands. I don't know over, over the course of my life, right? I probably have an above average knowledge if I was to sit down and talk with you guys or to have to do something on a car than most people. However, if you put me in a kitchen, I have a below average knowledge of the kitchen, to which my wife can attest. If Amy is not home, I won't even make macaroni and cheese. That's too complicated for me because I have to boil water. I have to cut butter in half. It's way too much stuff to put together. There's milk that you have to measure. This is way, way too much work. I can't do it. When I was a bachelor, I told her, I said, I used to live, I said, all the time, I'd come home and I said, you know what my dinner would be? It's the bachelor special. It's called a bread sandwich. Do you know what a bread sandwich is? 
It's a piece of bread with a piece of bread in the middle and another piece of bread underneath. Three pieces of bread stacked up. It's a bread sandwich, and that's what I would eat all the time. I have a below average understanding of cooking, of the kitchen. So I think all of us have these characteristics where maybe we excel or maybe we are kind of behind. We're like, yeah, I'm below average. But for most of us, I think if we looked at the grand scheme of some of the greatest people on earth and, and things like that, we, we realize that for, for the majority of us, we say, I'm probably pretty average. I'm kind of in the middle. There's a lot of people who are probably a lot smarter than me. I, I think I, I do okay. I, I'm probably kind of there in the middle. I'm probably about average. And this goes to all different areas of our life, including our faith. As you come here on a weekend, you're the people who are at least exploring your faith. Maybe you don't have everything settled yet, you don't know everything you believe, but you're looking at it. And even in our faith, that's part of it. Are we, are we about average? You know, you think there's some people who probably had seen people raised from the dead or something crazy like that, right? And there's a lot of people who maybe don't have any faith at all, and, and maybe I find myself kind of in the middle, kind of average in regards to my faith as well. Well, that's the first core value I want to tell you about. My big idea today is this. Acts Church is average people making Jesus famous. Acts Church is average people making Jesus famous. That's one of our core values. And one of the things that we hold on to is that it's about average people making Jesus famous. We actually say it like this in our core value. It says, we don't think that you need a degree in theology to spread the good news of Jesus. Quite the contrary, we believe the best ministry is done by regular people who communicate Jesus in the simplest of terms. Average people making Jesus famous. Now, why would we believe this? Because anything that we say that we we believe, it means we stand behind it. If it's a value, it means that we actually value that. We think it's important. Well, let's take a look at um, a story in the Bible. There's this guy in the Bible named Jesus. You might have heard of him. He's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Kind of a big deal, especially the second half, right? There's a whole bunch about him in there. This guy named Jesus. And we believe as as Christians that Jesus was the Son of God. He is God incarnate. And this is one of the most crazy stories, the most important story of the Bible. I mean, this, everything before it is kind of setting the stage, and everything after it is kind of explaining what comes next. But, but the very crescendo of Christianity is the idea that there is this God who comes in man as Jesus Christ. God set up the, the rules of the universe, and there's these laws that he put in place. And one of them is that the wages, the payment for all sin, which is, is falling short of perfection, deviating away from God's perfection, is payable by death. And that each and every one of us, because of our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, the very first people, all of us are born with a capacity. All of us know this. No one had to teach us how to sin, did they? It just naturally was in there. It naturally came out when we got to a certain age. But he said, unfortunately, that sin separated us from the perfection of God, and there was no way we could get it back. And that was why Jesus came. God came as Jesus. He lived a perfect life. And when he died, he had no sin to pay for with his own death. So he couldn't die. So he took all of the earth's death, and he paid for it with his death. Now, the greatness was is that his goodness far exceeded then all the penalty of every single one of our sins. And three days later, he actually returned from the grave, showing that the goodness in him was greater than the badness in all of us combined, that the debt was completely paid, and then there was extra left in the bank account that brought him back from the grave, okay? It's the most amazing story of the Bible. You're going to hear me tell it a million times over, but, but here's the deal. Jesus came to live this perfect life, 
to die on the cross, to resurrect, to go back to heaven. But he had another component of the years he was here on earth. And it was to build a team. It was to build a team because once he did resurrect, once he did go back to heaven, there was supposed to be a team left behind that would go and make Jesus' name famous to the entire world. He was building a team that said, when I leave, it's your responsibility to go and tell everybody about this good news that I paid for all the sin, that there's an answer to the problem they're suffering from. And he had to build this team, arguably the most important team ever picked in history. The most important team that has ever been built, ever been constructed, because they had the greatest mission of all time to spread the name of Jesus to the communities around them. Now, let's take a step back from that for a second. And let's assume that we had this same kind of responsibility to create a team that is, is vitally important, right? I mean, critically, vitally important. Not just something like money, not just something like that, but we're talking about life or death. We're talking about this really, really heavy deal. We have to build a team that's unstoppable to be able to accomplish this. In our minds, where would we go? Where would we go if we say we get to pick 12 people to find these people, to spread this good news? Where would we go? What comes to my mind right away is the first thing is I think we go to universities, right? We go to maybe the most prestigious universities. We go to the best colleges, to the best institutions, to people who are extremely wise, who understand man, information. They understand the exchange of it. They're well-educated. They're well-spoken people. We would find the, the brightest and the best who are coming up through the college uh, society, right? People who are like, that guy, he's going to be something. Maybe we'd pick out some people like that and we'd say, these are the people who I want out of, this, out of this college, out of this. Man, they have influence. They're those people. Maybe we would go to businesses, right? That was my other thought. Maybe we go to the, the biggest and best businesses we could find in our country. We go and look for CEOs, people who are great leaders, people who are commanders, people who can stand up and lead armies of thousands and thousands of people to be able to, to launch a product, to be able to create something. Maybe we go and we find the best marketing strategist for the best industry, right? Something like Apple or that who knows how to brand and knows how to spread information. And we'd say, we need this guy on our team. We need these people who understand how you communicate well with people. We can see the fact they know how to win, right? They have this massive success in business. Business. We would want them on our team. Maybe we would just go for fame. I would think, maybe what I would think was, let's go to Hollywood and let's find somebody who's extremely famous. These people, like we'd find one of these people and be like, they already have like a million Twitter followers, right? One tweet, a million people would know about it. These people are important. They already have this foundation where people trust them. People believe in them. These people who, they're kind of larger than life. And when they talk about something, they would have great influence to the people around them. People would say, okay, yeah, if that person believes this, maybe we should believe it too. Or if I was going to build this, maybe I would think, let's go to the, the best, the fastest growing, the most influential churches we can find, Right? 
Let's go find the people who really understand the, the depths of Scripture, people who are great biblical teachers, people who are great pastors and leaders, people who understand how to communicate gospel clearly, people who understand how to profess who Jesus is, to profess who God is. They understand his character. They've walked with him for years. And we find somebody who really, really has this strong foundation of, of faith, right? I mean, a faithful thoroughbred, right? Find that person and put them on the team. The most important team ever crafted. Well, let's look at Jesus. He comes along and we get to see his first pick. We get to see the draft pick, right? And when you pick, like right away, right? First ones, the draft pick is like important, right? The, the order. Any of you guys, I'm sorry to say, were any of you guys some of the ones who every single time that schoolyard pick happened, you're like, and I'm going to be last again, right? Whatever it was they picked you, you're like, yep. Yep, and that person gets picked, and that person, and you're like, please don't let me be the last person to get picked, right? Because you know the last person doesn't get picked. They just go on the team that was the next one in order, and you're like, yep, right? We get to see Jesus' first draft picks, the very first disciples he picks in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. They'll be up on the screen here. Let me read it with you. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus picks his team, his first draft picks. And he doesn't go to the best universities or education facilities at the time. Those would have existed. He doesn't go to the biggest businesses, and surely there were still businesses at this time, maybe not like we think of, but there were people who were leaders in industry. He doesn't go and try to find somebody who's already famous and well-known. In fact, he doesn't even go and find the most religious people, those who are religious professionals. Jesus goes to the lake. It was the sea, but in all reality, same difference, right? He goes to a body of water where a group of guys are fishing for a living, and he picks his first four disciples off of one lake. He says, come follow me. I'll teach you how to be fisher of men. Jesus picks the first third of his team. Not one person, right? You think, well, he needed the one working class guy to be part of it, right? To even it out. No, the first third of his team, commercial fishermen. Have any of you guys ever watched The Deadliest Catch before? Anybody? In the past watched that, right? I'm not being at all offensive. But commercial fishermen are usually not known for their eloquence not known for their their great vocabulary and speaking ability, not known for being these these great and powerful communicators. In fact, most of the time, the the words are short and simple and and often very vile as well as they fight the ocean to be able to bring fish to market. They're working class guys who have tore up hands, men who, who, who live on the ocean, who are dirty and gungy. They stink like fish. They sweat all day working with other guys. And this is who Jesus picks as his first draft pick. One-third of his team, and in fact, some people believe, it's not completely spelled out because there isn't much said about other people's jobs, 
that they actually believe that two of his other disciples, believe it or not, Thomas and Bartholomew, might have also been fishermen, meaning that not one-third of his team, but one-half of his team was commercial fishermen. How strange is this? These are the men who he picks. Now, outside of this, there's only one other man in the Bible who he picks as a disciple, who we actually know what he does. The other ones, no word spoken of it, which honestly makes me believe not that impressive of careers probably, right? I mean, none of them even get anything said about what they did or who they were. Very, very little. We hear later on from other people who are mentioned in the Bible, and if they do have more of a career, it's mentioned. People like Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. He was a doctor, and it says he was a doctor. He was a more educated man. Nothing is said about these other people who come and follow Jesus. My thought, not that impressive of careers. One other man, though gets talked about as in regards to, to what he did when Jesus called him. And it comes in Matthew 9, 9 through 12. And this man was named Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, you can always remember that in your, in your head, those are the really, really religious people. Those are the people who understood the word of God. Those are the leaders in the church at the time. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The one other man that we hear about is Matthew. And Matthew was what they called a tax collector at the time. And I know that that doesn't really resound with us because we don't think so much about that, about being a a tax collector. Our country got really, really smart, and they take out your taxes before you even get to see your checks, so there's no riots at the door on Fridays, okay? (laughs) There was a guy standing at the door taking the amount of taxes. There would be like a fight every Friday, right? They take it out beforehand, and you just blindly walk out and go, "Eh, that's fine, right? At this time, there were tax collectors, And they would collect the taxes that were due. Now, here's what you got to understand. These were the Jewish people. But at the time, they were being ruled by Roman people. Almost as if another country had come over and taken over our country. And they were in control. And they opposed taxes on all the people who lived in that country. All the Jewish people. And every so often, there would be people who would be picked out and they would maybe take this job of being a tax collector. And what this meant for the Jewish culture was somebody who became a tax collector is somebody who turned their back on their people. As if our country was taken over by another ruling country and if one of us went and worked for him, people in your community would say, you're a traitor. You turn your back on your people and you go and you work for those people who have no right to, to authorize authority over top of us. And that's what Matthew did. They literally said tax collectors could have no friends with anybody else. What they hung out with is exactly what he said. Prostitutes, people who were out in the street, people who were known to be really, really terrible people who had a reputation for doing bad things because no one wanted to be their friend. They were despised and it was a shameful profession. I think it's interesting because he invites Jesus over to his house and he invites his friends and we see who his friends are. Now, this is a little bonus for you, okay? Your friends are more important than you think. My mom, ever since I was like a teenager, over and over and over and over 
And over again, she would say this to me, Cameron, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. She said it to me all the time, over and over. Cameron, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And what she understood as a mom is that the people who you surround yourself with had influence over your life. The people you surround yourself with Man, they they speak into it, and they begin to nudge it in certain directions. And whether we like it or not, that really is the case. And that's a good word for people who are young and maybe still in high school or college, but mom and dad or grandpa and grandma, it's still a good word for you. The people who you hang out with will influence you. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Whether we like it or not, the people who we hang out with usually kind of fall in our Line. We talked about, are we above average, below average, average, right? Most of the time, the people who we spend the majority of our time with, our friends, are usually about the same as us. They make about the same amount of money. They usually live in about the same location as us. A lot of times they have about the same kind of values. Maybe they're about the same kind of intelligence. We kind of hang out with people who are like us. Matthew invites over Jesus And he invites over all of his friends, and we get to see a clear picture of who Matthew really is, don't we? All his friends show up, and we get to see how faithful is Matthew. Is he he one of those great men right in the Bible, one of those great disciples that Jesus picked out, and his friends show up, and they say, if there's something to be said about them, it's that they would be called disreputable, having a bad reputation. Oh, we know that guy. Yeah, he's a swindler. He's a scam artist. Stay away from him. Oh, everybody knows that girl. Yeah, we've heard stories about, about her. Yeah, that guy over there, he's married. Look, he's here with another girl tonight. Disreputable people that joined in. In fact, the most religious people, what did they call them? Scum. He says, these are the people who no one would spend time with. You wouldn't want these people influencing your life. That was Matthew's life. Obviously, if we look at him, we're talking about average or maybe even below average in regards to his faith. Not a man who was walking with people who were beside him, encouraging him in his, in his belief, in his encouragement, or, or encouraging him in his, in his faith to God. Very, very average. Listen, we know that over half and 100% of who is identified in regards to careers and their life Of the disciples that Jesus picked were average people. Average people. Jesus called average men, average people, to be his disciples. When making the most important team of all history, he did not pick the the brightest, he did not pick the most influential, he didn't pick the most popular, he didn't pick the richest. He picked average people. He was going to leave this greatest mission into the hands of men who are not extraordinary. Now we would think, though, okay, I get you, average guys, but then Jesus made them special, right? I mean, Jesus took them, and that was the whole thing as he picked out these guys. Oh, yeah, Matthew was a tax collector. These guys were commercial fishermen. But then they hung out with them, and all of a sudden, I mean, these guys just became these prominent pillars, right? I mean, they were great men of faith, and they had everything figured out, and they became eloquent speakers. They became these strong men of God, right? That's the point, is that Jesus really took these guys, and he shined them up, he buffed them up, and everyone looked at them and said, wow, look where they came from, and look who they are. Well, you would be wrong thinking that, believe it or not. 
In fact, it says that later on his disciples were going to the temple. And there was a crippled man along the way. And the crippled man began to shout out. And he said, would you help me? Would you help me? And they said, we don't have any money. But what we can do is we can heal you. And they prayed for him in the name of Jesus. And the man's legs grew strong again. He stood up and these shaky legs became strong. And he stood and he walked and he danced on them. And the most religious people at the time flipped out. They flipped out the people who were the leaders of what they called the Sanhedrin, which is kind of a cross between like the Supreme Court and also like religious leaders because they were in charge at the time. They arrest them right away. They said, we have to figure out what this is because this is going to cause a commotion in our, in our city, in our country. And it says that they bring these two in and listen to this line of conversation between these great leaders of faith in the community and these disciples. Listen to this. In Acts 4, 7 through 13. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Another word for ordinary, average. With no special training in scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The most religious people, the ones who would surely see whether or not people were average or above average in regards to faith, in regards to knowledge of Scripture, in regards to understanding of God's principles. They look at these men and they say they were astounded because these men were just so average, just so ordinary. Yet God was speaking through them so clearly. I love what it says. They were ordinary, but there was one thing that stood out about them. They had been with Jesus. Listen to me. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his glory. God uses ordinary people, not super spiritual, not super influential, not super smart, to do extraordinary things for his glory. He's done it in the past. Way before any of this, he did it when Jesus was here, and he continued to do it after he left. He used men who were murderers. He used men who were people who had cheated on their wives in the, in the Old Testament. He used people who didn't have faith. He used people who were pagans, who never knew God. He picked out a team like this, and he uses these average men to accomplish these extraordinary tasks. Just before this story happened, Peter, a man who had rarely ever spoken to people, a man who came from fishing, he was a commercial fisherman, got up and spoke the news about Jesus, and it said that that day, 5,000 people walked forward and said, I want to know this man, Jesus. He did these extraordinary things through ordinary men. Paul even mentions this. Paul is kind of a disciple that comes after Jesus had left. 
The Holy Spirit speaks to Paul and he kind of sets him up as another disciple that comes afterwards. And, and Paul is really one of the first ones who starts a lot of the churches in the community at the time around this area. And he writes to these people who are, who are growing up in the church and they're wondering, what's my place in this? Because I'm extremely ordinary. I'm extremely average. I don't have a good education. I work with my hands for a living or I do this for a living. and I don't really know that much about God. What's my place in all of this? He was speaking to the church in Corinth one time, addressing the same situation. He says it like this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God shows things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He says, I know some of you guys are wondering about this because you say, and we're out here trying to share what Jesus is and who he is, but a lot of us, we're not that influential. We're not that important. We're not that smart. And Paul says, no, you're right. And in fact, that's who God picks. He says, God picks people who don't have it all together. God picks people who aren't that wise, who aren't that powerful. God picks people who don't have faith all figured out. God picks people who are not that influential. God picks people who do not know all the details, who haven't had it all figured out. They're not that wise. And he says, and he uses these people to reveal his glory because then when Jesus becomes more and more famous... As people look back across the audience of people who moved his name forward, they said, how did it possibly get to here? He says, God loves using people who are average, people who are ordinary, because when supernatural things happen, when my fame spreads, people look across and say, how in the world did you get it here? And people say, it wasn't me. It must be the power of God. To make him famous on the earth, Jesus picked average ordinary men to spread his word. That's why Acts Church believes that average people are called to make Jesus famous. That's why our core value is average people making Jesus famous. That's why we believe in it. That's why we care about it. Because we believe that it's not something that God can use despite us. It's what God chooses to use. That very many people who think, I'm too average, I'm not important enough, I'm not wise enough. You are the very people God loves to use to make his fame known. What this means for a church is we believe in the average and we embrace it. It means that your pastors, people like me and people like Deb, we're not people who are above you on a pedestal. We walk right with you in faith. We're not people who guard a pastor's mystique and say, oh, these people don't struggle with sin. These people have it all figured out. Look to them. In fact, we are still just friends and family. We're sinners the same. People who are working out our faith with fear and trembling. People who are trying our hardest, that we are quite average. It means that as a church, we don't have pastors who have masters of divinity and doctorates in theology. Neither of your teaching pastors do. They're not people who have spent years and years and years studying in a a rigid format to understand this. They're average people who have poured over the scriptures and God has revealed words to them. They're not people who have gone through these massive credentialing processes. We're average people just like you 
who have dug into God's word and asked him to reveal it, and God's asked us to speak to our community. It means that for you, for somebody who calls Acts Church their home, who says, this is me, I'm Acts Church, this is where I belong, it means that you are called to make Jesus famous. It means that we don't have a system by which there's a few pastors that are up on a pedestal and they're the ones who do the ministry and we come to watch. No, it means that there are a few pastors that God asks to speak the direction of this church to us as a body and the ministry gets done by us, by average Christians in the audience. People who work together. That means that a lot of times when people are sick or people need a helping hand, they don't call me as the pastor. They call their friend who sits next to them on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, friend, I'm glad to pray with you after service. I'm glad to to speak words in your life. I'm telling you, the person sitting next to you, if they're a believer in Jesus, can pray just as powerful of a prayer as I can. It's average people that make Jesus famous, us who don't have it all figured out because God uses us average people to show how great he is. Our weakness reveals his strength. Our weakness reveals his greatness. Friends, it means that although you don't know everything, you don't have everything figured out, you might just be a few weeks into this, you might just be a few years into this, you know enough, you have enough to begin to make Jesus famous. I love the fact that the message that was given to us is so strikingly simple. That our gospel is not a complex one. It is so simple. Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23. You have to know this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That one verse speaks the entirety of our belief system. That there was sin that divided us from God and there is a free gift given to us by Jesus of eternal life through his death, through his life. We believe that not only does God use average, we believe he prefers to. We believe that the best way to spread the good news of Jesus is by average people. Like I said, our core value again, we don't think you need a degree in theology to spread the good news of Jesus Point the contrary, we believe that the best ministry is done by regular people who communicate Jesus in the simplest of terms. Let me give you a picture of this, okay? Imagine that there is a country in the world somewhere where this massive outbreak happens. It's a terrible sickness with a 100% kill rate. Everybody who contracts this disease will die. Our government works on it and finds the cure. An injection can be given to these people that not only keeps them from getting the disease in the future, but if they have it, it will kill it, it will kill it back, and it will, it will end it in their life, and they'll become healthy again. They develop these inoculations, these injections, but they realize that the need is too great. A massive country, say something like China, where the, 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 the country is far too expansive, it's too hard to get to, there's no way we can mobilize enough, and they put out a call to all of us as citizens. They say, we need people who'd be willing to give up a year of their life to go into this community to learn how to give these injections and to go into the farthest reaches of this country to people who otherwise will die of this sickness if no one's willing to go. And you agree. You agree to go. You go and you get your training. 
They teach you all about how it works, how the injection fixes it. They teach you about what the disease really is, what it means. They lay out all those details for you. They give you your special suit that has the logo on it. And they send you over there with your supplies. And you go back into the far back country of this village to an area that's super remote that you are the answer to that village's need. The problem is this. They don't speak your language. You don't know the language they even speak. It's, it's a, a tribal language that people didn't even prepare you for. You don't know how to communicate it to them. And everybody is really skeptical about this person who doesn't look like them, saying, I need to stick this in your arm to save your life. So you work, and you hustle, and you create a relationship with those people. You begin to learn their language and you begin to spend time with them to develop that relationship, to share the need that they have to trust you, that this is going to save their life. And finally, after months of struggling and fighting and working, one man gets it. He understands it. As you explain it to him, he hears the words and he understands and he trusts you enough to allow you to give him the injection. You do, he's immediately cured. The sickness disappears He's healthy again. Now here's where you make your decision. Do you take that man and say, now you go back to the United States. Go through the same training process I went through. Learn about the disease. Learn about how it works, where it comes from. Learn about the injections. Learn how that works, how it fixes it. Learn another language, get your fancy suit, and they're going to ship you to some other remote village somewhere else to begin trying to get that injection into the hands of people who need it. Or would you just take that person and say, now walk out of this hut and go to your friends and family and tell them, I don't know how this injection works. I don't know why it worked. I know you might not trust that person, but this saved my life. What do you think would have the greater impact? You just tell the man, just, I don't need you to understand all the details. If this worked for you, just go and tell your friends and family, this worked. Trust me. Try it. I don't have all the information. Friends, our situation is the exact same with the gospel today. Our situation is the exact same with the gospel today, that there are people who don't quite trust it, who don't quite trust us yet, who haven't heard it right yet, and they won't believe that this is the answer for them. Friends, if you've accepted Jesus and he's changed your life, you don't need to go to four years of college. You don't need to spend two or three years locking yourself in a room trying to pour over scriptures. You don't need to understand what your beliefs on evolution, your beliefs on the end times are. Friends, you don't need to have all of that figured out. Instead, you just need to go to your best friends, to your family, to the people you work with, the people in your community, and say, I don't have all this figured out, but this man Jesus saved my life and changed it. Friends, would you give it a try? X Church is average people making Jesus famous. Friends. Friends, you have everything you need. You have everything you need to begin to go into your surroundings, to begin to share the faith that you have. Do not be afraid when someone asks you a question you don't know. You say, I don't know. But I do know who I was. And now I know who I am. I don't know the answer to that question. In fact, I don't even know all the answers to that in theology. 
but I have time to figure that out because Jesus saved my life. Friends, we believe in average people making Jesus famous. Each and every one of us together. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for what a great God you are. We thank you, God, that although it seemed like foolishness, you understood that the best team to build was a team of average men, a team of average people who could share your wisdom with those who walk next to them in life. Jesus, I pray that right now if there's anybody who maybe they've never accepted that gift that you gave them, Maybe often they felt like they would never match up. They wouldn't be important enough for you to do something in their life. Maybe they were just a little too ordinary or average. I pray that you would touch their hearts right now. If it's that moment that they would just say a simple prayer in their mind to you, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. And that you will rush in and you will save their souls this very morning that you will change their eternity and you will immediately give them what they need to begin to make you famous in their friends and family and community. We thank you so much for how good you are. I pray, God, that you would use these people to change their world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.